See, we have a culture that thinks the person who speaks the loudest is right. The person who gets their way is the most powerful. We have a culture that thinks if I can only force or twist or make you do or think what I want you to do or think, I've succeeded. We will never change the world as Christians if we try to force our change upon others. It just won't work. We will never change the way somebody feels or thinks or the things they care about if we try to do so by our authority. See, all of these things about where power comes from to change the world, you can see all of these things in Daniel and in Paul and in Peter. But more than any of these guys, you can see all of these attributes in Jesus himself. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Well, good morning. I'd like for you to join me for a moment in imagination. Imagine living in one of the most powerful nations in the world. Geographically, not the largest, but among them. Militarily, no one could match them. Economically, the center of the world's trade, the center of all business and finance. Things are booming and going great. Imagine living in this country, this nation, and discovering that under the surface, things aren't what they first appeared. See, under the surface, you begin to recognize that nation was made great on the backs of the blue-collar worker. That nation was made great on the backs of slaves. And imagine now hearing all of this and discovering that nation had a huge disparity amongst those with wealth and those without. Or imagine that nation was divided by racial tension. People who were thought of or treated as inferior simply because of their ethnicity and where they come from. How great a nation this could be. Or imagine you discover as you peel back the surface the freedom of speech exists as long as what you say supports the government. But if you say anything they don't want you to say, suddenly it's punishable in some pretty extreme ways. Or the freedom of religion. You can worship whoever you want to worship unless the government of this great land says otherwise. And if you choose to worship somebody they say you should not worship, it's punishable by death. Imagine living in this great nation. Or imagine discovering that the nation is filled with all kinds of immorality, people doing whatever they want, however they please, with no regard to whom it may hurt. 
Or imagine living in this nation where women are treated as second-class citizens. At best, to be seen and not heard. And at worst, in this nation, they are to be treated as property. For the beck and call, the desire of men to entertain and please and maybe bear children and nothing else. Imagine living in this great nation. Imagine that the government of this nation is less than perfect. That it's run by a leader who's filled with arrogance and narcissism, who acts like he is the only one who matters and whatever he says must be true. And imagine if this leader acted in rage and anger and said and did all kinds of terrible things because he could get away with it. Imagine living in this great nation. Now, of course, by now you know exactly which nation I'm talking about, right? The nation of Babylon, of course. Right? Where else would we be talking about? We're talking about the Bible here, of course. If you're not familiar with the nation of Babylon, let me just catch you up. All those things I said, that was them and more. And they did all kinds of horrific things to people they deemed criminals, many of whom were just criminals because of ethnicity, like put uh, hooks in their noses and take them away in slavery. All kinds of horrific, terrible things to terrorize their enemies. This great nation of Babylon was so far from great. Now, if we lived in such a nation... Surely we would have a desire to change something. A desire to say things aren't okay the way they are. Something needs to be different. And if we didn't have that desire for fear of the consequences or because we were pretty content, it was going all right for us. If we didn't have that desire, surely we would at least have an obligation. This isn't okay and things must change. And yet... When it comes to the ability to change things that aren't good or that aren't okay or that we see as grossly immoral or really unjust, when it comes to changing something as huge as Babylon, where do you start? Today, as we continue in this series on politics, we're going to talk about the power to change the world. You and I inherently possess the ability to change not only the world we live in, but the world others live in. We have the ability to influence and change this world in a way it's never seen before. But most of the time, the church ignores its power. In many cases, the church sees the power to change the world as just the power to change the law. And we fight to make laws fit with our agenda. We fight to make the world look like what we think it should look like. All the while, as we fight, we push people away from the very message we're called to proclaim. See, here in America, in many ways, we're not too unlike Babylon. Here in America, in many ways, we often put our own agendas first. The Christians on the right see the the immorality of this country as the greatest concern. And so the Christians on the right, they fight with everything in them to restore morality. Often with the enemy becoming the Christians on the left, who they say are less moral and terrible people. 
And then you get the Christians on the left who see all the things that the Christians on the right ignore in the name of morality. All the things they don't cover, all the things they don't talk about, like social justice and the poor and the hungry. And the left views the enemy as the right. And rather than seeing one another as Christians called to the same agenda, the same purpose, the same God, we see the Christians, our brothers, as our enemies. As we look at this nation of Babylon, ask yourself, where do you see this in our community? In Knoxville? In Tennessee? In the United States? In what ways are we like this nation? And in what ways could you and I, as the people of God, be like Daniel? See, if you're not familiar with Daniel, Daniel's a really cool dude. Daniel, as a young kid, gets abducted and kidnapped and forced into slavery. But because he's handsome and kind of smart, they make him have a pretty cushy job in slavery, right? They give him a whole bunch of education so that he can be put in charge of leading others. But this education wasn't just good education. You see, they largely had him reading the materials of their culture, They gave him a new name and said, you should no longer be called by that Hebrew name. Now you should be called by one of our names, which is honoring our God and not your God. And he's given this new name and he's forced to learn the things that the culture celebrated, including the gods they worshiped and the things that they lived by, the things that were contrary to his own faith, faith in one true God. And Daniel was put with this challenge in this position. See, when you were there in the king's court called to be one of these wise advisors to the king and you were receiving this education, the king would feed you all the food sacrificed to idols because by eating that food, you're getting more meat and more of a balanced diet and better meal than anybody else in the community. And you would eat this meat sacrificed to idols in part to say, I also celebrate those idols and worship them as God. But that wouldn't fit with his faith. How do you live in this world, like we talked about last week, without being of this world? So in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel and his buddies, it says this, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. See, Daniel sees, in order to live in this world, if I do the very thing you're asking me to do, I will have to become somebody I'm not willing to be. And so, he asks permission, please let me do it my way. But of course, this eunuch is afraid, because if the king sees his men starving, the king's going to accuse the eunuch of not doing his job. And when the king acts in anger and does as he pleases, it's dangerous for the eunuch's life. He says, if you don't eat this meat, I might die. So Daniel, he challenges him, let us just for 10 days do it our way. For 10 days, let us honor our God and just see what happens. In verse 15, it says this. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. You see, Daniel chose in this land not to say the way you're doing things is wrong, not to say your system is unjust or I refuse. He simply said, can I please do it my way? Can I just try it this way and see what happens? 
And sure enough, doing it in such a way that honors God brought him favor. And him and his three buddies, they were fatter and healthier than those who weren't eating the meat. Or those who were eating the meat, sorry. They were healthier, they were better. And Daniel said, see, look, doing it our way works for us. Can we just keep doing this? They were given permission. So for the next three years of their education, they they only eat vegetables. They only do what they can do to honor God and not to acquiesce to the culture. We don't see anything about them saying the culture's wrong. Everybody else needs to change. We don't see anything about them saying to anybody else, hey, you guys should join us in acting like this or living like this. They just simply say, can we be the ones who live differently? And it goes well for them. Again, chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, And in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. See, Daniel and his buddies, what I love about them is they committed their life to living different for the sake of God. And in living different from the world around them, God blessed them and they actually grew to be smarter and wiser and more apt for the very job they were called to do. I believe for you and I, when we choose to live different, not to force others to be different, not to encourage others, not to tell others how they're wrong, just we choose to personally be different. People take notice. It changes things. We'll skip ahead, see the king in his rash craziness. The king has a dream. If you're not familiar with the story, check it out. In the king's dream, it terrifies him the things that happen. And so then he goes to all of his wise leaders, all of these council, all the people among whom include Daniel and his buddies. And he says, I had a terrifying dream. Tell me what it means. And they said, okay, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. So no, 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 you guys are out to get me. Fake news, I can't trust you. You guys are dangerous. So you tell me the dream that I had and then tell me what it means or I'll kill every one of you. Who wants to live in this great nation? So Daniel, he hears this. He goes to his buddies and he's like, let's pray to God and see what God does. Seems pretty smart. Sure enough, God shows Daniel what the dream is and what it means. Daniel goes back to the king. He says, hey, king, don't kill those men. Let me tell you a dream. And he tells him the dream. He tells him the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar, this terrible, horrible, evil man, praises Daniel's God. And then we get to chapter three. And in his arrogance and his desire to be celebrated, he desires, I'm not just the king of the land. I'm not just the ruler of this nation. I should be the very God of these people. I want them to bow down and to worship me. Surely we don't have anybody in our culture who ever acts like that. Have you seen TikTok? Like, what are these influencers, right? They post some weird stuff and thousands of people flock to them like, I can't wait for their next video. About nothing. Why? So then we get to chapter three, verse four. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded... O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you will fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Sounds like a good time. Look, here's the command. I am so worthy, so great, so awesome. Everybody should worship a statue of me. And anytime you hear music, if you don't fall down immediately to begin to worship me, I will literally burn you in a fire. Like we burn people a lot today, right? We use that kind of language all the time. Oh, we roasted them. Oh, that was a a sick burn, right? We say things like that all the time. But here they were literally going to be burned to death if they refused to worship this guy as God. Could you imagine living in that nation? Sounds fun, doesn't it? And so we have this story here of David's three friends And it says in verse eight, it says this, therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. See, after he set up this policy, they knew here's a way our racial hatred can be perpetuated. Here's a way we can find our enemies and crush them. If everybody has to worship the statue, I know they won't. And then you can kill them. And David's three buddies, there's this incredible story where they get caught not worshiping and the king gives them an opportunity. Okay, bow down now and I'll just act like it never happened. And this is their response. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I just love that, right? Like, look, here's the opportunity. You will follow the law. You will bow down and worship. You will lose your freedom of religion. You will do it my way. And then I will spare you. But if you don't, I will kill you in this horrific death. I'm like, okay. Like, that's it? That's the worst you can, you can throw at me? Like, our God will save us. We trust him. It's fine. No big deal. But even if he chooses not to save us, we would rather burn in a fiery pit than worship you. Like, think of the moment And in his rage, he heats up the fire super, super hot, seven times hotter than normal. And he goes to throw the three men in and the guards who throw them in actually die from the heat. And somehow Daniel's buddies are safe with a fourth man in the fire. A fourth man there in in the fire, they come out, they don't even smell like fire. Their hair's not burnt in the slightest. Once again, the king praises their God for he truly is great. I don't know if you're seeing a pattern here, but I want to point it out to you. What I love in the story of Daniel, living in this evil, corrupt, terrible, horrible nation, a nation that is completely ungodly and tries to encourage people to do things they shouldn't do, Daniel and his buddies don't seek to fix the nation. They don't seek to change it. They simply live faithfully. They simply live consistent with the very things they believe. And along the way, God provides. And along the way, not only does God provide, others see that their God is truly something special. We'll pick this up a couple chapters later. Again, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Uh, It goes through this really weird season where he like acts like an animal for almost 12 months, really wild stuff. 
Um, then his son comes along. His son's really sinful. Daniel again is in leadership. And time and time again, what happens is these kings who are evil come to Daniel, help us. Daniel does. And Daniel says, here's what God says. Change this. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Or Daniel says, here's what God's about to do. Be ready for this. And sometimes they get ready and sometimes they aren't. But every time, Daniel and his buddies continue to be given more and more favor, more and more opportunity to make a difference and to change things. Then we come to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, this is what happens. Beginning in verse 4. Then the presidents and the satraps, uh, leaders over regions like governors and mayors, right? Then they came, uh, where was it? I lost my place. Uh, They sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. You see, they hated the fact that no matter what they tried, Daniel continued to grow in influence. No matter how much they tried to tear him down, he continued to have a greater sphere of ability to change the world. They were uh, envious. They wanted what he had. So they sought to find a complaint against him, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now think just for a moment about America, specifically about the church in America, about Christians in America. Could this be said of you and I? They could find no fault with them about anything with regards to the kingdom. Only with regards to the law of their God. See, I think for far too many of us in our pursuit of the ability to change the world or to influence others, we have lots of faults. We say horrific things about other people in the name of truth. We do terrible things to the very people we should be loving because they don't look like us or act like us or think like us. We fight with one another rather than serve and love as we've been called. But Daniel, they could find no fault because he was faithful. So they come up with this plan. They just devise a scheme. And here's their plan. We know that the only way we will trap him is if it's in connection to his God. So they go to the the king, now a different king, uh, the grandson of the previous king. They, They go to the king. They say, pass a law that everybody should bow down and pray to you. Sort of like what the grandfather did, right? Everybody should pray to you because we know Daniel, he won't do it. Verse 10, it says this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house. It said he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You see, Daniel hears this threat. If you pray to anybody other than the king, you will be killed. Not just killed, you will be thrown into a den of lions. I know Knoxville's got tigers and stuff, but like, who wants to be thrown into a den of hungry lions? So what does Daniel do? Just goes about his business, life as normal. Goes back to the place where he prayed three times a day, and he did what he always did. He prayed. 
See, I really love that about Daniel because I think for many of us, when there's opposition or challenge or obstacles or there's fear of something negative, immediately we begin to say, what do I need to do to change or fix that? We begin to get defensive and fight. You can't do that. You're taking my rights. You can't do that. That's not okay. And it becomes all about me. What's in it for me? But Daniel, he hears this horrific news. If you continue to do what you're doing, you will be fed to lions. He just kind of shrugs it off and goes about doing his thing. Still in the context of honoring everything within that kingdom's way of life. What if we had that attitude in the midst of our Babylon? I'm not afraid of what may happen. If my bakery closes down, oh well. If I lose my livelihood or they take my stuff or my possessions are gone, it's okay. If they throw me in jail, they threaten to kill me, so what? But also, what I love about this is Daniel's not creating something new in the midst of trial. He's not waiting for that moment of conflict to begin seeking God. But oftentimes for us, it's like, well, the only other thing I can do is pray. I guess I'll pray, right? No, Daniel created a habit, a pattern, a regular consistency. And when things got tough, he just went back to what he already knew. Well, I'll just keep seeking and trusting God. It'll be okay. Then we'll skip down a few verses Daniel gets busted. The king has to throw him in the pit. The king is really sad. It turns out the king really liked Daniel and didn't realize Daniel would be trapped by the very law that he signed into action. So when Daniel's thrown into the pit of lions, the king is up all night, unable to sleep. What have I done? And then the king comes down at daybreak. He goes to see Daniel and he sees that Daniel miraculously is still alive. Kind of like the three men in the fire, miraculously alive. He says, how could this be? And Daniel, verse 21, says this. O king, live forever. First off, what a, what a word of honor, right? Like, here's the dude who just sentenced you to death and threw you to lions. And you're like, hey, I just want you to live forever. I don't want harm to come against you. I don't want bad to come against you. I want you to live and let me tell you the truth right now. He goes on. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. The very next verse, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. I love that response. In the midst of this terror, what should have been a horrifying night, what should have been the end of his life, everything should have fallen apart. When he comes through it, he doesn't blame the king, you terrible, horrible man, you horrible leader, you should repent. He simply declares, I hope things go well for you because they've gone well for me. See, as we talk politics in America, this isn't the attitude of most Christians. When somebody in the world of government says or does something we don't agree with, 
something that we perceive might cause us harm, rarely do we seek to honor them and speak well of them and wish that things go good for them. Rarely do we turn to the habits we had before unless we're talking about the habits of bashing people we disagree with on social media. We're really good at turning to that habit. But Daniel, he just turns to the Lord. And just like with his buddies, God delivers him. Now, as you read the rest of Scripture, you see that there are many times and many places where the world the people of God are called to live in does not look like the world God said it should be. And there are many times in Scripture going forward where the very people who trust in God experience all kinds of pain and all kinds of suffering and all kinds of hurt because they choose to be different and to trust God. In fact, if you read the New Testament, that's literally how the church grew. When they were thrown in prison, they rejoiced. When they were beaten, they celebrated. When they were killed, they mourned and they celebrated that they would be counted worthy of suffering with Christ. So I want to give you four things today, attributes of people who will change the world, things I think we see in Daniel, things I think we see in the New Testament and guys like Paul and Peter, and things that I believe you and I today in the midst of this turmoil can cling to. First, people who change the world are confident in their identity. See, you will not be able to influence this Babylon we live in. You will not be able to influence people around you and change them if you don't know who you are. More importantly, if you don't know whose you are. You see, your identity is not just the things you do. I work at this place. I'm friends with these people. My family are these people. I have this much money. Your identity has nothing to do with you. But you have a God in heaven, a Father Almighty, who calls you his child, his dearly beloved. And when you and I have this confidence in that identity, when we take hope and peace and security in whose we are, nothing else matters. And we can see a world of turmoil and say, it will be okay. God is for me, not against me. So first, if you want to change the world, you need to grow in confidence in your own identity as a son or a daughter of the living king. And then you need to do something really difficult. Reject earthly status. Now, here's what I mean by that. Daniel didn't reject it and refuse to be in a position of authority or leadership or honor. He didn't say, I can't be in that place. But to reject earthly status is to see that your identity in God matters above anything that may be said about you. And so you don't need to strive to be the one everybody looks to. You don't need to strive to be the one everybody aspires to be like. You don't need to strive to be the boss or the CEO or the president. No, you can just be you. And if those positions of earthly status come, great. Use them to proclaim the hope that you have in Jesus. And if those positions don't come, that's okay. You're not any less or any more. 
And one of the reasons we have to reject earthly status is because sometimes the status put upon us is not consistent with the identity we have in God. People want to call you things that simply aren't true. People want to elevate you to a position you aren't supposed to be in. And it feels good when people praise us and celebrate us. It feels good to have a status that seems powerful. But if we accidentally twist that status into who we are, we lose everything. So we need to be confident in our identity. We need to be able to reject earthly status and say, that doesn't matter. If I have it, great. And if I don't, that's okay. And then we need this, to be driven by compassion. See, we can't change the world around us if the thing that motivates us is rage and anger. I'm sorry about righteous anger. If you've heard that's a thing, you're really misguided. Because in scripture, righteous anger only lasts until the sun goes down. So if you've been angry for longer than 12 or 14 hours about anything, it's no longer righteous to remain angry about that. See, we can't be driven to fix and change and improve the world if our motive is anything less than love. I'm not trying to change and influence the world because I think you suck and need to fix it. I'm not trying to change and influence the world because I'm right and you're wrong. I'm trying to change and influence the world because the world is lovable. People are lovable and things aren't good and because I have compassion, I must do something. Finally, if you want to change the world, you have to be non-coercive. This is really big in our culture today. See, we have a culture that thinks the person who speaks the loudest is right. The person who gets their way is the most powerful. We have a culture that thinks if I can only force or twist or make you do or think what I want you to do or think, I've succeeded. We will never change the world as Christians if we try to force our change upon others just won't work. We will never change the way somebody feels or thinks or the things they care about if we try to do so by our authority. See, all of these things about where power comes from to change the world, you can see all of these things in Daniel and in Paul and in Peter, but more than any of these guys, you can see all of these attributes in Jesus himself, regularly, every time. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. The Father and I, we are one. His will is my will. I'll submit to him constantly because I know whose I am. The world wanted Jesus to be this king who came in power, but instead he came as a servant. They wanted him to be this political influencer, and yet he laid his life down as a sacrifice. They wanted the lion who would roar and they got the lamb that was slain. See, Jesus, he rejected all earthly status to gain something much better. He wasn't just driven by being right or being God or by knowing the wrong and everybody else. Jesus was regularly driven by compassion. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Regularly, Jesus, he sees the crowds and it says he had pity on them or in some translations, he had compassion on them because they were broken and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Driven by love, he came to serve. 
Ultimately, he was not coercive. I won't force anybody to my kingdom, to this way of life. I won't force anybody to the promises that I'm giving. I'll just freely give it. And in Jesus laying down his life for you and I, we have a source of hope and peace and strength that no matter how crazy and messed up and broken and immoral and unjust and terrible and ugly this great nation becomes, we can look to Jesus So just today, I want to be more like that. I want to find more hope in him. I want to trust more in what he has done. And in doing so, you and I, with these four things, I believe can begin to change the world. Not with who we vote for, not with the laws that are passed, but with the people we love, the people we care about, the relationships we change. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you have given your son that we might be made new. You have given your son as one who was humble, who knew who he was in you. God, who rejected any earthly status that drove him away from you. God, you gave your son who was filled with love and did not force anybody to his way of life. God, I pray that we would be like Daniel living in a world that is far from you, that is broken and hurting and desperate for your truth. God, would we not force our way? Would we not seek to gain positions of power and authority for our agenda? But Lord, would we be those people who simply are the change we hope to see in the world? Would people look to us and see you When they look to you and see your love and your joy and your peace and your hope. God, may each and every one of us begin today to change the world. The little moments, the small things, the daily habits that draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This time, if you came prepared to give an offering and you would like to give in the popcorn buckets with cash or check, you can do so when you leave later this morning if you came with a physical offering. If you would like to give online to support what we're doing, not only in this space, but through this space, connecting with the disconnected in our community. If you're interested in supporting that, you can give at thepointknox.com by clicking the little blue button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, it's not so that God loves you anymore but because he already loves you with everything in him. Next Sunday, if you're not familiar with the church calendar, is a day called All Saints Day, a day in which the church celebrates and remembers those who've died in faith in the previous year. So if you have somebody close to you, a family member, a friend, a loved one, um, somebody you know about who's passed away in the last year and you want us to take a moment to honor and remember them, uh, will you send me a text or an email or text in question? Uh, Just send me their name. That way we can honor them next week as we remember those who've died this year. And now my favorite part of the service, questions from you to stump Uh, me. We have a couple questions and a couple comments. Um, The first one says, just a comment, I actually thought you were describing China in the beginning. Mm. That's pretty much the way it is there. Um, Oh, one more comment. Well done, Pastor. Well, thank you. Difficult, challenging, personal things. Said well. Thank you. I appreciate that. It just came in. Um, This one's my favorite comment. Then we'll get to the questions. 
My dad used to tell us the story of the men God saved from the furnace before bed, but he changed Abednego's name to To Bed We Go and said, see, the Bible says it's bedtime. Dad jokes and church jokes, that's a great mix. I love that with yeah. all of my heart. Yeah. I don't even, I don't have children. I'm going to start saying it to Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we, now we have actual um, questions. So first one, um, hi, last night we were discussing theology with a neighbor and she brought up the laying on of hands. I've been to those not my words, weirdo churches, with speaking in tongues and whatnot, and I left after seeing the slain in the spirit displays. Isn't part of the fruit of the spirit self-control at any rate? I'm interested in discussing Mark 16, 17 and 18. All right, uh, thank you. <laughs> Uh, We will definitely pick this up more in the point leftovers this week, but the real short answer is you're right. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, Um, and at the same time, there are times in the Bible where people experience God, and they're usually really undone. Now, I will say as a caveat, the only places where people see heaven directly and see God directly, they cry out in fear, and they're like, woe is me, I'm going to die? So if you're having that experience and not afraid you're about to die, I'm glad you're having that experience. Uh, Don't place your hope in the experience, place your hope in Jesus. And if you've never had those experiences and all that stuff is super weird and crazy and like, like, oof, uh, that's okay. Uh, These are things that God does do, um, but not necessarily something every Christian has to experience. We'll pick that more up and talk later. And the Mark verse is where it talks about like handling snakes and stuff, which I promise we won't be doing here. So, um, but we'll pick that more up on Wednesday. Um, Second question, if the sin of divination, am I saying that right? Is defined as the false use of means to discover the divine will by rods, cups, liver, dreams, oracles, et cetera, then why do seminaries award master of divinity degrees? Uh, divinity and divination are not the same. Divinity refers to anything divine. So I don't know if you know this, but seminarians have to study a lot of theology, which literally means the study of God. We spend a whole lot of time studying things about God and a whole lot of, or a whole little time actually doing the work of being Christians. I think we've got that backwards. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the master of divinity is not divination. It's claiming to be a a really high degree of study of who God is. Yeah. That's important. Yes. That's important clarification. (laughs) Divination is seeking to use God or other powers to do things on your will and your way. So that would be bad. Um, Okay. Uh, Second to last question. The last one's super easy, I think. Um, No pressure. (laughs) But this one says... So what do you say to people that claim that you don't care about people's salvation if you aren't forcing Jesus on them? That they won't know Jesus if you aren't the one forcing it on them? <laughs> don't say that. That's not the answer. Don't say you're stupid. Though That's what I feel sometimes. Now, the danger is there's very little you can say that will change their mind. So here's what I encourage. Instead of saying anything... Just say okay and then show them way more love than they've ever experienced from anybody. And maybe they will see that your way actually seems to work better. Maybe they won't. It doesn't really matter. Other people will see it. So um, there's this idea here in the South, and maybe we should talk more about this on Wednesday too. And it's this idea, this bait and switch Jesus, right? 
Like somebody's hungry, let me give you a sandwich. Oh, right as you're taking a bite, let me tell you about Jesus because you can't go anywhere. Why? Like, let's just love our neighbor because they need to be loved. And when the opportunity arises, let's tell them of the hope that we have. But we can love our neighbor and have them never become a Christian, and we still did a faithful job loving our neighbor. It's not our job to make Christians, it's our job to love people. God does the rest. So, yeah. That was good. Thank you. All right. Last question. Y'all are quick. You're sending in questions as we're going. This one says, couldn't we just get together and kick those questions around the courtyard? Always. Absolutely. So now that we have this incredible space that we get to gather in, you are welcome to hang out anytime you want. And if you don't have a key, I'll get you a key. We'll get you in. We had a fire pit, three of them actually, on Friday. It was a ton of fun. And we're going to keep at least one here. So you guys, if you want to come hang out and have a fire. We have a lot more s'mores supplies still. Tons of s'more supplies. So I see that. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, if you want to come hang out and you want to invite your friends, even friends who aren't a part of any church or this church, do so. My goal is that this building is used so much that we have to regularly replace the carpet. So if you could help me make that happen, that'd be awesome. That's it. That's it. Cool. All right. Whew. Thanks for not killing me with too terrible of questions. <laughs> Though there's still time. You can always text those in during the week and we'll either respond on Wednesday or next Sunday. We'll respond as best as we can. Before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Go and change the world. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.